Have you noticed that the emphasis on Christmas seems to get earlier and earlier every year? And in full force right now, we see retailers putting their best foot forward in order to uh, highlight products that uh, we uh, can buy for ourselves or for our loved ones. i tell you something that, that these stores do um, very, very well is they put things on display to capture your attention so you can see things and see what you want to buy. For example, if you walk into a jewelry store, they do a great job with display cases, don't they? Clear uh, glass and light shining. If you're looking at a, a certain uh, piece of jewelry, the, the light's reflecting off of it. It just looks great. You have to have that piece of jewelry. Well, as we study 1 Samuel chapter 12 this morning, we're going to look at a display case. This chapter displays the grace of God. And it helps us to see God's grace from different angles. As we see God's grace from different angles, it is breathtaking. It is amazing to behold. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. As we continue our study through this wonderful Old Testament book. 1 Samuel chapter 12. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please... Stand with me in honor of the reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible Word. Now, just real quick, do you know what service you're in? Time change? Now, let me just give you a heads up. In about 10 minutes, some folks are going to walk in and think it's the 11 o'clock service. All right? Just just smile at them. Don't say a word. All right? And uh, they'll just worship with us at 930, okay? All right. 1 Samuel chapter 12. The Bible says, Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you now. Here is the king walking before you. But I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Now, fast forward down to verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerobal and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we pause to, to ask you for your help in this moment where we are, as your people, bowing our hearts before your word. And we say to you, speak for your servants are listening. Lord, we anticipate you speaking into our lives in a powerful way. We anticipate you gripping our hearts. We anticipate you transforming our lives. Would you do that? Would you change us so that we can live in a way that, that honors you, and it, so that we can live in a way that glorifies you? Lord, have your way in our midst. May Jesus Christ be exalted. May Jesus Christ be glorified. Well, thank you for that grace. Lord, I ask you to order my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we've journeyed through the book of 1 Samuel, we've seen that uh, the Israelites uh, wanted to be like the nations around them. They wanted their own earthly king. Before this point, they were living as a theocracy. God was their king. God would appoint different uh, human leaders to speak on his behalf. He would speak to the people through those human leaders. And things were going well as long as they were listening to what those leaders told them. But when they were threatened by Nahash the Ammonite, they wanted an earthly king to lead them in a military manner. They wanted an earthly king to rally behind. And the Lord said, they're not rejecting your authority, Samuel. They're rejecting my authority. They don't want me to be king over them. And so we see in the preceding chapters that God gives them what they want. Okay, If they want an earthly king, it's not what's best for them. But we'll give them an earthly king. And they will learn a very valuable lesson through all of this. And God stays involved in the process. He raises up and anoints the first king of Israel, a man named Saul. And in chapter 11, we saw that things began uh, very well. Saul took on the mantle of leadership and led the people into victory and overthrew the Ammonites and their oppression and their threat. And the people were excited. They now had this earthly king named Saul, and they were rallying behind him. And things seemed to be going pretty well with this new monarchy. And that's what we see in chapter 11. But now in chapter 12, Samuel is going to gather the people together and speak to them and uh, remind them of some basic foundational truths that they needed uh, to be aware of. And as he does this, we start to see God's grace on display. You, you don't see the word grace in this chapter, but grace is everywhere in this chapter. God's grace is on display in this chapter. As we look at it from different angles and different perspectives, we see how breathtaking his grace really is. So what I want to do this morning I want to show you from the text five different aspects of God's grace. Five different aspects of God's grace. And here's the first. We see God's grace in revealing sin. God's grace in revealing sin. Now, at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, Samuel, this, this prophet speaking on behalf of God, the, the leader that God had raised up for them before the first king, Samuel takes on the role of prosecuting attorney. And I want you to see the case that he lays out against the nation of Israel. First of all, if you look there on your notes, Samuel makes the case that he had kept his integrity intact so they could trust what he had to say. Verse 1, it says, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now 
Here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. You remember when God raised up Samuel to be the next leader of the nation of Israel? Remember, he started off as a youth serving there at the temple. His mother, Hannah, left him there with Eli to learn the ways of the Lord. And he says, Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whom, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. You hear what Samuel's saying? Examine my life. You've seen me from when I was just a child. You have the, the witness of my life. Have I taken anything that doesn't belong to me? Have I defrauded anyone? Have I ruled wrongly on a situation because I was bribed? Examine my life. Look at my integrity. Look what the people say in verse 4. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. And so Samuel said, listen, I have lived out a life of integrity before you. So what I'm about to say, you can trust. What I'm about to share with you, you should listen to because I've exemplified integrity in my spiritual leadership to this point. I love how Samuel's integrity is the foundation of his message. I read this quote from Charles Spurgeon years ago, great preacher of the 19th century. He writes, our characters must be more persuasive than our speech. And we don't have time to get into it this morning, but 1 Samuel 12 is filled with wonderful, wonderful aspects of spiritual leadership. And if you're a spiritual leader, you must lead from integrity. Because if you do not have integrity, you do not have credibility. And if you do not have credibility, you cease to be a leader of people, right? And so he has this, this integrity. So he says, I've kept my integrity intact so you can trust what I'm about to say. Here's the second part of the case that Samuel lays out against them. He says, God has faithfully delivered you in the past. Look in verse 6. Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now, take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. Uh, Samuel's going to take the nation of Israel on a quick uh, tour of history. And he takes them back to uh, the time when Israel was living under Egyptian bondage and slavery. He says, remember when God gave you earthly leaders like Moses and Aaron and led you out of slavery to Egypt and led you into the, the, the place of freedom? Remember what God did? You didn't have an earthly king then, but God took care of you. And then he begins to talk about the book of Judges. Look what it says in Verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They, the people of Israel, cried out to the Lord when they were oppressed and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. For now, deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. 
Samuel saying, remember what happened in the days of the judges? You sinned, and God would send a, a foreign nation to oppress you, to get your attention. You cry out to God, and God would raise up a leader to overthrow those foreign oppressors. Remember that? You, you didn't have a king then? And God was faithful to take care of you. God was faithful to deliver you. And so here's his point. God has faithfully delivered you in the past. But here's the next part of his argument. He says, you turned your back upon God and looked elsewhere for deliverance. Even though God's been faithful to you, you didn't seek him with this latest threat. Look what he says in verse 12. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here's the king. You wanted one, here he is. Whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Samuel's saying here, even though God's been faithful to deliver you, faithful to take care of you, you thought you needed an earthly king. You didn't want God to be your ultimate king. And so God's going to give you what you want. And you're going to see just how unwise of a decision that was. God is not pleased by your desire for an earthly king king and and notice what he does he shows him a sign of god's displeasure in verse 16 verse 16 he says even now take your stand and see this great thing which the lord will do before your eyes is it not the wheat harvest today i will call to the lord that he may send thunder and rain then you will know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the lord by asking for yourselves a king so samuel called to the lord and the lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Samuel says, just so you know that God is displeased, I'm going to give you a sign. It's the wheat harvest. It's the dry season. And yet I'm going to pray, and you're going to hear the rumblings of thunder, and you're going to see a torrential downpour. And this will get your attention. So that's what he does. He prays. God sends a great rain. rain. The people are, are, are fearful. They feared the Lord and feared Samuel. God showed them a sign here's a sign samuel says of god's displeasure now what's god doing here i mean this is a hard a hard sermon that samuel's preaching and this sign of of the thunder and the rain is terrifying is god being harsh here is god being mean no this is god's grace because until we see how serious sin is we will not be serious about repentance. Let me say it again. Until we see how serious our sin is, we will not be serious about getting right with God, which is why it is so disheartening to see preachers that have television ministries and people sending in millions and millions of dollars and their buildings are full of people to come listen to them preach, and yet they never talk about sin. If people never understand the problem They'll never seek to fix the problem. And the problem is not that we just need to try harder. The problem is that we are sinners that need God's salvation and God's grace to help us go in the right direction, right? And until we understand the bad news, we will not embrace the good news. Until we see how serious sin is, we will not be serious about repentance. I like this quote from... Dale Ralph Davis, he writes, Only when God's people see their sin from his perspective is there hope that they will turn from it. Until you see sin through God's eyes, you will never get serious about dealing with your sin. You will 
hang on to it and continue in those paths. And see, God, when he shows you your sin, when he, when he, when he uh, turns on the spotlight of his holiness to shine on the darkest areas of your life, that's not God being mean. That's not God being harsh. That's God being gracious to show you where you're not right so that you can get right. It's grace. You say, wait, is grace operate like this in my life? Well, listen to what Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 say. This is uh, written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, listen, training us or teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Paul says, here's one of the roles of grace. Grace, God's grace, will show you the worldliness and the sin in your life so that you can get right, so that you won't keep on living like that. So we see God's grace in revealing. So you know we sing about this all the time. The old hymn, Amazing Grace. Remember that line that says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to what? To fear. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. God's grace teaches us to fear Him. It teaches us where we are wrong. It shows us our sin. And that's not God being mean. That's God being gracious. And by the way, when Christians speak the truth of God's word, that's not Christians being mean. That's Christians being gracious, right? If we tell you the truth about something, then that's, that's gracious. It, it would be ungracious for us. It would be mean of us not to speak God's truth. And so we see here that God's grace is displayed in revealing sin. You know, if you had ketchup on your face, would you want somebody to tell you? Would you? I mean, you would. It'd be an embarrassing moment, but less embarrassing than walking around all day with ketchup on your face, right? You'd want somebody to tell you so that you can do what? Deal with the ketchup. When you go to a doctor, do you want the doctor to tell you the truth about your physical condition or you want him to lie to you? Now you want to tell you the truth. Why? So that you can address the area that needs to be addressed. That's not the doctor being harsh. The doctor doing what's best for you so that you can address it. And when God reveals our sin, when God speaks truth into our life and grips our heart and convicts us and shows us that we are not right with him, that is a reflection of God's grace. But there's a second display of grace in this passage not only god's grace in revealing sin but we see god's grace in granting a new start god's grace in granting a new start look what happens in verse 19 samuel preaches this sermon to them he prays for thunder and rain and thunder and rain comes to show them that god is displeased with them and in verse 19 it says all the people said to samuel pray for your servants to the lord your god so that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Translated, the, the people of Israel were saying, uh-oh, we've blown it. We messed up. We should not have asked for a king. That was the wrong thing. But notice what they can't do. They can't go back and fix it, can they? They can't do that. That people would could not go back and undo all of the wrong and listen Neither can we. Have you figured out that when you blow it, you can't go back and 
You can't go back and undo what you did. Figure that out. I mean, that's a, an irrefutable law of life. You can't go back and undo the things that you've done. And we've all done some things we're not proud of, right? You've heard me say this before. Who of us, who of us in this room would not ha- hang our heads in shame if a replay of our life was played up on this screen? Who would not hang their head in shame? We've all blown it. And none of us in this room can go back and undo what we did. Right? But what does God do here for the nation of Israel? They blew it and they knew it. But notice that God grants his people a second chance. Look what it says in verse 20. Samuel said to the people, I love this, Do not fear. Do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You know what Samuel's saying here? You blew it. You can't undo it. You can't fix it. But God's giving you a new, fresh start. From this point on, serve the Lord. From this point on, do the right thing. And that's God's grace. You see, a second chance gives us an opportunity to, for faithful living. You can't go back and undo the past, but, but when God gives you a fresh start, you can move forward faithfully, right? You can do the right thing. Wait, what does faithful living look like? Well, look what he tells the nation of Israel here in verse 14. First of all, living faithfully involves fearing God. Look in verse 14. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him. If you'll fear the Lord. So from this point on, yes, you blew it, but here's a new start, a second chance. If you will fear the Lord, you need to go in the right direction by fearing God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? I could preach an entire sermon. I could preach a series of sermons on what it means to fear God. Maybe we will one day. But what does it mean to fear God? Write this down. Basically, it means that you take God seriously. That's what it means. That you respect Him, you have reverence for Him, you take God seriously. You take the the will and the way of God seriously in your life. Do you, listen, are, are you taking God seriously? I mean, can you really say that, hey, I'm a God-fearing person. I think about him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I, I want to live for him and what he says, not for what other people say about my life. I want to live for him. I, I, I take God seriously. That's what it means to fear God. Secondly, living faithfully involves serving God. He says there, Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him. Everybody look at me for a moment. This is really, really simple, but a lot of us miss it. Serving God means you do something for him. Now, American Christianity has portrayed the Christian life as God. You do stuff for me. Hook me up. Bless, 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 bless. Do you serve him? Do you do anything for him, for his glory? Do you want to live for him in this world? You want to do something for, for the Lord? That's what it means to live faithfully. You serve God. Third, living faithfully involves taking his word seriously. Look in verse 14. If you'll fear the Lord, serve him, watch this, and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you. Here's what he's saying. 
when God speaks, you need to listen. You need to listen to his voice, do what he tells you to do. Now, here's a question. Does God still speak to us today? Does he? What you say, yes or no? Yes. How does he speak to us today? Through his word. And so when we read his word, we hear his voice, right? question is, are we going to take it seriously? Are you going to take the word of God seriously? And then fourth, living faithfully involves wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. Look what it says in verse 20. Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Here's what he's saying. Serve the Lord, but do it with all, the, with all that you have. Serve him with a wholehearted devotion. That's what it means to live faithfully. So when God gives you a second chance, or third chance, or fourth chance, when God gives you a new start, take advantage of that new start and begin to live faithfully. It gives you an opportunity to draw a line in the sand and say, that's not who I am anymore. Now I'm going in a new direction. Yes, I've blown it, but I can't undo it. I can't do anything to change my past, but I can sure change the trajectory of my life going forward, right? When God gives you a new start, it's an opportunity for you to live faithfully. So we see here God's grace in giving Israel a new start. Don't you love it? They say, oh, we've blown it. And Samuel says, listen, from this point on, serve the Lord with all your heart. There's a third picture of God's grace in this passage. We see God's grace in being absolutely faithful. I love verse 22. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, as he tells them to serve the Lord with all their heart, he says in verse 22, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Here's what he's saying. Listen, even though you've been unfaithful, I'm, I'm calling you to be faithful, to go in a new direction. And understand this, that God, the God you serve, is always faithful. They are reminded of God's great faithfulness. He says, listen, the Lord will not abandon you. Now, here's a question. What makes God so faithful? What is it that, that drives the faithfulness of God? If you look there in your notes, God's faithfulness is rooted in his perfect character and his purposes. Look what he says in verse 22. The Lord will not abandon his people. Why? On account of his great name. God is God. He doesn't, he doesn't fall short of keeping his promises. Amen? God always does what he, said he's, he says he's going to do. God is a God who is faithful. When God speaks, you can take it to the bank. And because of his great name, to uphold his own greatness, to uphold his own glory, God will always be faithful. And notice there it says, on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Samuel said, remember God chose you for a reason. He chose you to send a Savior through you. He chose you to rescue the nations. He chose you to rescue the lost. And God's not going to give up on his rescue plan. Even though you've blown it as a nation, God's going to keep preserving you and protecting you and, and watching over you so that one day, through you, he can send a Messiah named Jesus. 
Just because you've blown it, Israel, doesn't mean God's not going to send a Savior. Aren't you glad, by the way? Aren't you glad that when Israel blew it, God didn't say, well, my, my rescue plan's through. No Savior for the nations. No. He continued to faithfully, graciously work with his people so he could send us a Messiah. God's faithfulness is rooted in his perfect character and his purposes. I love 2 Timothy 2.16. I was thinking about this verse as I was studying this past week. That verse says, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. His faithfulness is rooted in his perfect character and nature. So, here's what we learn from this. That even if you've blown it, listen, God never blows it. Just run to him. And he'll do for you what you need to go in a new direction in life. Here's the fourth aspect of God's grace. We see God's grace and warning of severe consequences. God's grace and warning of severe consequences. God wanted them to know if they did not change course, God's hand would be against them. Look what it says in verse 15. He says, If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Look in verse 25. He says, but if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Pretty serious stuff. God's saying, listen, you've blown it, but in my grace, I'm going to give you a new start. But if you ignore what I'm telling you, if you disregard my warnings, if you disregard truth, There will be very severe consequences for you in the future. Judgment is coming. My hand will be against you. You and your king will be swept away. God is warning them of severe consequences. You see, it is dangerous for you and I to ignore God after he has gotten our attention. How many of you would ever say, there have been times in my life where God's gotten my attention? Raise your hand Okay, most of us, probably all of us. There's been times in our life, if we've been walking with God, where God gets our attention, right? Now, when he gets your attention, what happens next is critical. Will you get the point and adjust your life and go in a new direction, or will you keep just ignoring him and turning your back to him? It is very dangerous for God to get your attention, and then you keep on ignoring him. Because he'll get your attention again, and it'll be worse. There will be severe consequences. You say, wait, that's harsh. No, no, no. That's grace. It's gracious for God to warn us of the consequences of ignoring him. That's God's grace. Is it harsh for you to tell your toddler that the stovetop is hot? Is that harsh to tell them not to touch a, 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 a warm burner? No, that's not harsh. That's because you care about your kids, right? If you touch this, it's going to burn you. That's not harsh. That is the most loving thing you can do is to tell your kids the truth. When God gets your attention and shakes you from your spiritual lethargy and apathy, that is not God being harsh. That is God being gracious. But learn the lesson, amen? Learn the lesson. When I was in college, I got into this bad habit of spending all my money on myself. And I knew better. 
And I knew that I should be setting aside part of my income for the Lord's work. I knew about tithing. I'd grown up in church, and I just was disregarding it. I just wasn't, wasn't giving, just, 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 just ignoring that, that commandment over my life. And uh, uh, one weekend, I was driving home to uh, visit my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Claire. And I was just driving along, and uh, blue lights in my mirror. I got pulled over, and uh, the state trooper came up and uh, told me I was speeding and wrote me a ticket. And as I left that place, and I was looking at the ticket and kind of reflecting on the past uh, few weeks, I did some quick kind of calculations in my head. And the amount of the ticket was exactly the amount of tithes I should have been paying the past few weeks. Now, exactly. Now, you think that got my attention? Now, it would have been very unwise for me to just keep ignoring God, right? Okay, God, I hear you. I've been ignoring you and spending all my money on myself, but I'm going to keep doing it. That would have been very unwise. When God got my attention through a, a pricey, I mean pricey, speeding ticket, I adjusted my life. And when God gets your attention, however he chooses to do it, you need to adjust your life. Listen, to ignore God when he intervenes graciously in your path is foolish. It is foolish. You are heading for disaster. That's what Samuel's saying here. You got a new start. Serve him with all your heart, but understand if you do not, you will be swept away. So we see here God's grace and warning of severe consequences. Fifth and last, we've seen God's grace in this passage in revealing sin. God's grace in granting a new start. God's grace in being absolutely faithful. God's grace in warning of severe consequences. But fifth and last, we see God's grace in giving his people a spiritual champion. God's grace in giving his people a spiritual champion. Look what Samuel says in verse 23. Again, there's a lot here about spiritual leadership. We don't have time to dig into this this morning. But in verse 23, Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, here's my role in this whole thing. As you go in a new direction, you have a new start. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Samuel says, here's what I'm going to do. I promise to intercede, that's pray, and to instruct. God gave Israel... By his grace, a spiritual leader. That said, if I don't pray for you, I'm sinning against God. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, I'm going to lift you up to the Lord, and I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to show you the right way to go. I'm going to speak truth into your lives, truth into your nation. He promised to intercede and instruct. Samuel took the posture of a priest and a prophet. I'll make known to you the ways of God. I'll speak truth into your life. I'll pray for you. I will be your leader. God was so gracious to give them a godly leader like Samuel. Do you see that? Now here's the question. Does God give us a leader? We're his people today. And Samuel is going to help. Listen, Samuel is going to help the people go in a new direction. When we start in a new direction, do we have any help? The answer is yes. You see, God has given us a prophet 
a priest and a king. And his name is Jesus. God has given you a spiritual champion. Listen, who died for your sins. Who died to redeem all the junk in your past. All the baggage, all the wrongdoing, all the evil, all the sin, all the iniquity. Jesus died for that on the cross. He shed his blood for all of your sins. Amen? He's your champion. And then he was buried after he died upon the cross and he rose from the grave. He's defeated death itself. He's your champion. And guess what? Now that he's ascended to the Father and he's sitting at the right hand of God, Hebrews 7.25 says that he daily lives to make intercession for you. Just like Samuel was praying for the people of Israel, your champion, Jesus Christ, is every day, listen, every day praying for you. Wow! He's your champion. And just like Samuel pointed the people in the right direction, just like Samuel helped the people go in the right direction, Jesus helps us go in the right direction. Over in Matthew 11, he says, listen, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'll teach you. I'll show you. I'll instruct you. I'll guide you. I'll point you in the right direction. I'll help you go in the right direction. He's our champion. Jesus Christ, a gift from God, a gift of God's grace to redeem all of our failures and a faithful friend to help us go in a new direction. Aren't you glad the Lord has given us a spiritual champion? Greater than Samuel, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Savior, our friend. I'm so grateful today for Jesus. We can never have a redeemed past. We can never go in a new direction. We can never have a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance if it weren't for the work of Christ. And so we see, just like God gave Israel a spiritual champion named Samuel, Oh, we're reminded as we look at this passage through the lens of the entire canon of Scripture that God has given His people, the church, a spiritual champion named Jesus. And so even though the word grace is not mentioned in this passage, do you see how it's everywhere? God graciously dealing with His people, giving them a brand new start. God's grace really is amazing.